this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. My guest today is Grace Kyung. She is a project manager at Urban Strategies, an advocate for racial equity in healthcare, and recent TEDx Gateway Arch speaker, where her talk revealed how proactive planning can promote just communities and lead to better health outcomes for all. Hello, Grace. Hi, me. And you have hiccups. Yeah, I'm trying really hard. We're really going to try not to, but this could be the first podcast we did with a hiccup person. So I think it could be interesting. (laughs) Just speak between the hiccups. I'm trying really hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let's start with your TEDx experience. I mean, yeah, we we put the the speakers through it, right? It's a lot of time and dedication to get that talk where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. So so talk about your whole experience of being a TEDx speaker. Uh, I agree. It is a lot of pressure, but I do not think I didn't plan it out as well as I should have. Um, I'm someone who is a the major procrastinator. I ah. I work. I'm a pressure prompted worker. So gotcha. I so sh- did you? I put wrote, enough pressure on yourself. Yeah, I wrote it the week <laughs> of, leading up to the talk. Oh my gosh! And then I memorized it the day of. But you did really good. Thanks. I, I mean, I hope it, was, it comes off as good. Wow. So that yeah. So not how we would suggest people do it. No. Right. Wouldn't yeah. be the best course of action. No. But you did it. <laughs> I did, yeah. It, something happened. I promised you guys something would happen. This miraculous miracle things happened. That's good. Yeah. So talk about it, though. What did you talk about? Uh, I talked about the connection between what my cultural identity as a Korean American woman is and how that impacts my viewpoint on what urban planning is and how being Korean American, working in St. Louis as an Asian person, what that's like as an urban planner. And um, just for anyone who's not familiar with what urban planning is, urban planners are visionaries, builders, designers. We help essentially lay out plans for where things in a city can go and where things shouldn't go. And it's the ultimate plan of understanding how we build and develop communities overall. And there are a lot of people that need a good community. I mean, that's part of what you're doing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Because without urban planning, what we have are just ad hoc planning where we build things where we feel like building it. There's no restrictions. So urban planning is, for example, linked to public health. For example, when we were thinking about where industrial zones would go and thinking about where people live, if they live too close to areas that were didn't have clean air, for example, then um, there were higher rates of asthma and chronic health uh, illnesses that would come out of it. You f- you want to think even earlier in the time when Jon Snow solved the cholera a- epidemic back in, oh, I forget what year it was, but you know, way back when. So, in a Europe. long time yeah. ago. Right. So when he figured out it was a water pump handle that was causing the cholera outbreak, he was able to map out where people are getting sick and then narrow it down. And that is one of the earliest forms of the connection between planning and health thinking about where we live and how that impacts us. In so many ways, I was really, um, I was very intrigued by the statistic that you used about how growing up in one area of St. Louis, you had you could expect to live to be 85, but then just seven miles away, expect 67, mm-hmm. you know, which was like so eye-opening. Yeah, so if you live, for example, in North City, where you might not have as 
easily readily accessible access to health, food, education, jobs. Your life expectancy if you're in the Jeff Vanderloo neighborhood is 67. But if you live in Clayton, one of the best suburbs in the St. Louis region, your life expectancy is 85. So there's a lot of racial inequities in particular in the St. Louis region when we're talking about health outcomes, um, what opportunities and access and people have, and that there are enough data and statistics that if you are Black and born in the United States, that we can predict how long you're going to live and what sort of opportunities you're going to have just based on your race alone. That is, it's it's just, I mean, I love that you guys are working on this, that you're figuring out how to find communities. I mean, equitable communities, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody deserves to live in a place where they have access to the things they need to be happy, healthy people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, what are some projects you're working on right now? Mm-hmm. My main role right now is to work in East St. Louis at a public housing site. We have a HUD grant, a federal grant to redevelop essentially, and revitalize this portion of East St. Louis. We're looking at housing in itself, but with looking at the different people we're working with within East St. Louis, we're also looking at workforce development, education and health access, community development, and then essentially how do we ensure that the folks that live in East St. Louis, that we're actually doing this for them. So what sort of resident leadership capacity building do we build into that? So it's a very large public-private partnership that we're um, working within. And East St. Louis just got a new mayor, Mayor Robert Eastern. So it's an exciting time in East St. Louis with a lot of hope and opportunity to see real change happen. So my role is to work with the residents, the city staff, and the private sector. And how do we build a cross-sector collaborative approach that is truly in the benefit of those that need help? assistance the most. Wow. And so how many, I mean, like, how how many people are you dealing with, with all of this? Mm-hmm. So East St. Louis itself, if I remember the population correctly, it's about 30,000, maybe up to 40,000 at most. Um, but my population that I'm working with is less than 9,000 okay. uh, folks within my project area specifically. And does this have to do with not only the housing, but also what businesses are in the area? Mm-hmm. So yeah, my project area that I'm working in includes the downtown central business district. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. So um, when you're looking, like, how do you guys decide where to take this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how did it, how did East St. Louis win? For you guys to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Urban Strategies is actually a national organization. Our main work is predominantly in the St. Louis region. So okay. we work on the Missouri side. One of our biggest projects we're working on is in the near north side neighborhood. So north portion of North City, just north of downtown St. Louis. So there we initially did something similar where we got a HUD grant to do a plan overall for this portion of North City. That HUD grant led to a second HUD grant of a $30 million, uh, what we call a Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant okay. that had leverage funding from other opportunities. So how we chose the location specifically in East St. Louis is we saw East St. Louis had a lot of opportunity for change. There were, from the previous mayoral um, 
administration, the current one, just folks in East St. Louis are ready for something different. And it's not even just East St. Louis. We're talking about the St. Louis region as a whole. We want to see St. Louis come back. And to be able to come back, we need to think about the surrounding area because St. Louis region is more than just the Missouri side. We need the Illinois side. What people don't realize when I say I work in East St. Louis is it's literally a five minute or less drive from downtown St. Louis. It seems so far, but it isn't. Just right across the river there. Yeah, we have direct impact in relationships that can benefit one another, but if one side is not doing well, how well would the other side do as well. We're not balanced in any way to really truly tap into the resources that we have. So urban strategies saw the potential within East St. Louis. So we've been working in that area um, since 2017 to really bring in this HUD grant we're currently working on to do a plan overall. So within this plan, we're going to be laying out how do we transition people, essentially uplift families and work with them to transition out of poverty and thinking about what sort of opportunities can exist from there. So our goal is to work within this specific public housing site in the central business district uh, is adjacent to it and really see what opportunities we have to help East St. Louis change. Um, Because we're there to support them, because the efforts were already existing before urban strategies came in. We're there as more of an arm to see how we leverage and continue to work with other people who have been putting in the work even without before our presence and will continue to put in the work. Grace, thank you so much for doing that important work. And we are gonna take another quick break. So let's talk about a huge part of all this has to do with racial equity, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that with these communities that we're building. Yeah. So when we're talking about racial equity, particularly in the St. Louis region, we need to really have an honest, transparent conversation of what that even means. So after Micah Brown was killed and we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of what happened in Ferguson and with Michael Brown's death and what was a catalyst for this Black Lives Matter movement and everything else that's been going on around raising more awareness Mm -hmm. on this topic, especially in the St. Louis region. We have to look at how our different sectors and roles that we play in society and systems really impacts that. So when I talk about my role as an urban planner working in the St. Louis region, I'm thinking about all the different components of urban planning. Uh, We could be talking about housing in the current modern days of redlining that we see today and how housing is still a topic of segregation and dismantling that divide. Right. Uh, We could be talking about active transportation. Where do we build bike lanes and sidewalks and how do we look at pedestrian debts overall? And there's enough data and statistics even on that alone that if you're black and you're walking on the street, people are least likely to stop for you just based on the color of your skin. Right. So um, talking about racial equity is complex. It's not an easy subject to just tackle from one avenue to go, okay, then I'll build more a better bike and walking infrastructure and for you. Fine. Yeah, Everything's right. fine. I'll yeah. add more lighting. Or, oh, you're, you're saying that there's modern days of redlining and segregation happening, fine, I'll lend out more mortgages to black families. But because of this being a generational issue and that we know this is rooted back in how this country came together, until we actually take a look at how to dismantle these broken systems that 
our country and this region is built on, the foundations that we're working off of, it's just cracked. Well, right. Yeah, There's the, sh- in- the foundation's shaky. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't build upon that. Yeah. So how do you, I, I mean, this is such a huge subject. How do you guys even start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we're talking about urban planning for me is really looking at the past data and understanding um, where things are and what led us to where we are. So when we're talking about data that is actually looking at numbers, getting a better baseline, such as life expectancy, income, uh, education access, looking at different health disparities, but it's also building in people's lived experiences and their stories because we know that data can only go so far. We also know data doesn't capture everyone. Right. So how do we work with communities that are in distress and going in there to understand what is the trauma people have experienced in the past and understanding that tra- how that trauma has impacted them. So my role as an urban planner, for example, if I were to be working in North City, is to understand, okay, here is the data and information of the different demographics and what people are struggling with. Mm-hmm. I can make general assumptions of what people need in order to live a better life, live to their fullest potential. But until I go and actually talk to the community and understand, for example, if you're going to be using imminent domain, like when the NGA was coming in and they forced right. people to move, it's right. trying to understand why don't they want to move. And it's always rooted in history and understanding the need and that how we engage with community is usually a top-down approach and telling them this is what we need you to do and this will lead to a better outcome for you instead of going in from the bottom and asking like what do you need in order to actually be able to live to your fullest potential and how do I support that need and being transparent in how we have these discussions because usually how planning works in the St. Louis region is telling people, this is what we're going to do for yeah, you. And it's good for you. And we're just going to force it upon yeah, you. You'll love it. You right. Ha- yeah. yeah. And right. then come along on this ride because we've already started without you. Right. So then we come in this backwards way of saying we care a lot about racial equity, but do we actually care? Because how we engage and work with communities is usually we have the plans laid out. And now we're telling you, give us your input and now how you want to fill the boxes instead of give us your input of how you want to see this community grow and change for you over time. And then even if we build pretty things and we fix the physical infrastructure until our political system and how this region is run, that doesn't matter because we don't have the policies and practices in place that are truly equitable and dismantling racial inequities that we see in this region. So my role as an urban planner is not only to make physical plans of where things can go and shouldn't go, but it's also to work alongside the community to strategize and organize and start shaping policies and outcomes that truly do benefit them instead of just telling them, okay, thanks, you told me that's where you want the nearest restaurant. That's when you want the nearest grocery store. And that's how you want to walk to school. Like that's not enough if I'm really wanting to work in this racial equity space. Wow. And so do you hold like um, some sort of a forum or how does it even start with getting the Mm -hmm. conversation going? Uh, I always look at things in a layered approach. So doing community meetings, doing forums are always essential. Meeting people where they're at and hosting those is important. But for me, it always comes down to the individual level of how do I even work to build trust? 
Okay. If I'm entering communities that I'm not a part of, especially because I'm Asian and I'm a transplant working in the St. Louis region, why should anyone trust me? Right. Well, but just yeah. anybody coming mm-hmm. in who's not part of the community, right? Yeah. It's like, who are you to come in and tell me what's yeah. best for me? Or right. to ask me for my opinion. And I, now I have to open up about my past experiences that right. most likely lead to some form of trauma. Um, that one because most of the populations that I work with are low income black and brown communities mm-hmm. um, that have every re- reason not to trust me, the systems that have put them in the place, and not right. to want to participate because they don't believe the outcomes produced will actually truly benefit them. Because of we can talk about the different data and statistics of how things have shaped it and past decisions that have led to it. But what we know for a matter of fact when we're talking about the St. Louis region is it used to be predominantly black. Now what we're seeing is a black population moving out and more white, younger people moving into the city. Right. And that, those are intentional reasons why we're seeing these demographics and population shifts. And the region should care that black families are moving out through inequitable policies and practices that have happened. We know what is happening to the black community here, yet... For whatever reason, people make excuses. And at the end of the day, it's just that people don't care to look at the real numbers and seeing how our St. Louis history and the historical roots we have are changing in front of us, yet people still don't seem to care. Right, right, right. So so it's it's really showing everybody, here's mm-hmm. what's going on. Here's the, the part that you're not looking at, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because it's easier not to look at the negative and go, oh, but, you know, these neighborhoods are making a comeback. These neighborhoods that were in distress before are now doing well and doing better. But that, I mean... What we don't always who's think, it better yeah, for? It's right. who is it better for? Yeah. Who is it harming? Who is it benefiting? Right. And at the same time, if half of our region is sick, essentially, then what good is our economy? And to look at those numbers of more people coming in, more revenue coming back, because half of the region isn't doing well. Right. Well, and if yeah. you're just coming in displacing people. Mm-hmm. Displacing that- people and not actually fixing any problems either right. at the same time. So... That's just even on the Missouri side. When I go over to the <laughs> Illinois side, because that's where I work on a day to day with the folks in East St. Louis, what do you do when a whole entire side of the river is forgotten? Because so many people, when we talk about the work to do in St. Louis region, we focus only on the Missouri side. Right. And the, there's, of course, reasons why we focus on the Missouri side versus the Illinois side. One is obviously they're in two different states. Right. But it's still. If we're forgetting to do the work in North City and North County to really, truly push the racial inequities and see why we have the systems in place, if we're not willing to do that work, how are we going to help an entire community across the river And when we don't build those relationships and trust together as well? Well, I I love that it's—I mean, thank you for— being people that are really working at this at, in a good way, <laughs> yeah. you know, in a way that that um, that takes into account, like takes it to the human level, mm-hmm. you know, not just a this is really best for you approach. But mm-hmm. what do you think is best for you, and can we talk about it? We mm-hmm. are you willing to share with me? So do you go into people's homes and talk to them then? Uh, it depends on the community, the people I'm working with. Um, Usually not, just because I understand and respect the privacy of a home. Um, And some of it isn't even my role to play. It's working to build trust with other people, whether that's hiring people for 
different physicians to work alongside me and paying people for their time and building relationships through others. Just because the end of the day, I will never fully connect with certain people. And it's just because of what I look like. It's because of my background. So it's really important to build trust and relationships with others that can further my trust and relationships with an entire community. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of individual level work. Love it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Grace. We're going to take another quick break. All right, we're back with Grace Kyung. All right, ready for questions? Yes. So in your TEDx talk, you talked about Han. And I want you to, to speak to that because I was really intrigued by the whole idea of it that we don't even have. We, there's no way to translate it really mm-hmm. into English. But I want you to talk about Han, what it means, and then how it comes into play with what you do in your life. Yeah, so Han is uh, something that Korean people carry around with us. Han is an emotion. It's a feeling. As Misha was saying, there is no English translation for it. So Han is a feeling of hopelessness in a sense. It's a feeling of weight and burden within oneself. And that weight and burden comes from our ancestors that Korean people have worked like ancestors in the past that Korean people carry around with us, realizing what our ancestors have done for us in the past for us to have what we have today. Bahan on the flip side is also the a form, an emotion of resilience and hope and realizing because of what our ancestors have done for us, we're able to have what we have today. So Han is a very complex feeling to fully encompass. And so that burden, but feeling of that resilience comes full circle. So it's Han- an amazing <laughs> word. I love this. Thank I just you. love it. Yeah. So I look at Han, like if we're thinking about urban planning is my Han represents my weight as an urban planner that I am facing my cultural barriers and my cultural identity as a whole as my largest barrier to do the work that I want in striving for justice for all and producing racially equitable outcomes because how I was raised was really looking at not to disrupt systems, looking at opportunities to put other people first and to work hard. So to become the urban planner that I want to be today, I know I need to disrupt systems and put others first that my family might have not initially thought the populations I would be working with and understanding how my identity as a Korean American has shaped who I am today and how I am trying to shape that into who I want to become. I love it. It is such a, I, and I, I, I'm always intrigued by how other languages have words that we really can't translate. And they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're usually, there's like a feeling and emotion behind it mm-hmm. that makes it difficult for, you know, us to like a direct translation. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how the translators do it. They're probably like, hey, wait, I got to stop for a second. I got to <laughs> do a whole big explanation here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was, so I kind of stalk, I stalk everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Can I stalk to you a little bit? And on LinkedIn, you talked about, okay, alter, 
alternative spring break at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where you went. What is an alternative spring break? What did you do? Yeah, so alternative spring break, or ASB for short, it's a service learning opportunity. It's something I got heavily involved in when I was uh, at U of I. That's cool. Yeah, so we traveled. uh, Our ASB focused on traveling across the nation, and we would do service work throughout the United States in different areas and different topics. It's actually what exposed me personally to being really interested in social justice and looking at social justice from a lens of outside of urban planning and health, thinking about um, such as the relationship with criminal justice reform, thinking about even veterans affairs, environmental, uh, you name it. I probably did some sort of service learning trip about it and it opened my eyes to different topics that wasn't something I personally worked on on a daily basis but I wanted to understand how these different movements that we're creating and working within how it's all interrelated like for example what's going on in the Missouri level right now with the abortion ban how that's related to urban planning and health and racial equity and what role that will help and not help shape certain outcomes that I mean that's so amazing. That's way better than beer bongs. <laughs> Thanks. Right? I mean, I mean seriously though. I mean, what a great use of time. I mean, that says so much about you right there. Oh, you know, thanks. I just love it. I, oh, thank you for that. Thank you for all of your service. Um, so you, I'm going to imagine that you have probably seen a lot of things that most of us have not seen. Is there anything in particular that has just really astonished, that would astonish us, that maybe we don't know as people that don't work with the communities you're working with, that you think we should know? Or that, you know, I always like when people want to help us see the things we don't see. Mm-hmm. I think something that we as just people don't like to think about is secondhand trauma. Um, So how this relates to what I'm currently thinking about is, I mean, you can think about it all different lens, such as the abortion ban and what that causes in secondhand trauma. But if I'm just specifically focusing on urban planning is, for example, recently in East St. Louis, um, near my public housing site, there was a shooting And I was not directly impacted, but other people I work with in the community were. They weren't the ones also to be shot at, but what happened from that situation has led to secondhand trauma that they are experiencing. And therefore, I am dealing with some secondhand trauma and trying to support them and understanding that I can fully never understand what they're going through because I wasn't directly impacted at the same time by it. So... It's tough when we're working in these fields, especially when we're working in distressed communities. It's not always about shootings, but sometimes just hearing about the generational um, harm and racism that black and brown communities have dealt with in the past. And knowing that I can never fully understand what they've been through because I am not black or brown and that um, I was not treated in certain ways because I'm Asian. So I get away with being able to go into different spaces and being treated nicer. And then my face comes off as nice as well because I have an Asian face when that looks younger. So people treat me differently and I look like a woman. So people treat me differently. Right. Um, That uh, it's tough to work in these communities. And it's even tougher because I feel like most people who work in 
stressful jobs don't actually deal with the trauma that they experience because they don't think that they are experiencing any trauma because they're like, it's not directly impacting me. I don't need to work on addressing that. But for me, um, specifically, and what I've been trying to do in the last year is really trying to understand who I am, how my past individualized trauma is impacting me and the secondhand trauma I experience in working in distressed communities. And how do I process and actually heal myself from within? Because if I'm not going to work on healing myself and really addressing the things you can't see, then what good am I to the communities I'm working with because I'm not willing to take care of myself? So in other words, I might be inflicting the trauma I've internalized my whole entire life onto these communities. It's That is beyond amazing that you're doing that. Thank you. Because it's so true, mm-hmm. right? It's so true. Um uh, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where I tell one of my one of my lessons in life. You know that that I that I want to share with people is deal with your stuff because if yeah. you don't deal with your stuff, then you're just going to it's going to affect people around you. Mm-hmm. So if you take care of yourself first, and you know, become an aware person and a healthy person, what have you, then the people around you, it's you're you're giving them a gift of joy, you know, yeah. and and of healing. By just being the best you can be. Yeah. And then, yeah, going back to like thinking about the things we can't see, if we're not willing to deal with our own individual trauma, then how are we supposed to heal a community's trauma or work with the community to heal? Because I individually can't heal a community's trauma because it's collective trauma that they've experienced over time. But I can play a role in helping move towards a space of healing and trust and addressing trauma that different communities are experiencing. I love it. Thank you, Grace, for all you're doing. Oh, thanks. How do people get in touch with you? Where are you at online? Where do we find you? (laughs) I have a Twitter account where I lurk and stalk other people. So you got to talk about your Instagram account. You know what you talk about. Oh, yes. (laughs) And then I have... You know, how we deal with emotions. I do it by eating a bunch of fries. And so <laughs> I stress eat French fries. And I decided that one day I needed to create an Instagram account dedicated to fries. So if you'd like to follow my more adventurous side of just hearing about my thoughts on different fries, you can follow me at STL Fries. Uh, there you go. And yeah. we will learn about all the fries within St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can come back and help teach you about how fries in the connection between urban planning and where you can find certain fries is really where you can also Ooh. see disinvestment in communities. I think that's amazing. <laughs> so, no, go ahead. Get, like, let's do at least a minute or two on this. Go ahead. I got to know. So, recently, I tried to plan a bike ride finding fancy fries. In mm-hmm. other words, bougie fries at higher end cocktail places or restaurants. Gotcha. Through a quick Google Maps exercise of thinking, where are some places to get fancy, expensive fries? What we saw quickly is that you can only find it in what we call the St. Louis region, the Central Corridor. Because ah. when we looked at North City options, it just didn't exist. No fancy fries. No fancy fries at all. And that's just one real small example of how talking about fries and food access and urban planning and, you know, we could spiral. I, I could it. spiral but on so, this. But yeah. So if you live in a neighborhood with fancy fries, you could live to 85. If you live in a neighborhood without fancy fries, it's not going to be 85. If we wanted to simplify it that this, much. Right. Yes. Well, but that is an interesting thought <laughs> yeah. that puts a whole new spin on French fries. I'm here to tell you. Thank you, Grace. Yeah.
And thank you for being a TEDx speaker and for sharing even more with us today. Mm-hmm. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. And thank you. <laughs>